Between the kids being home and hosting, everything in our house gets used up in summer. With Instacart, I can save money by stocking up on all my favorite summer brands. I save time by getting everything delivered in as fast as an hour. And I save myself a sink full of dirty dishes by stocking up on paper plates for the annual summer cookout. Save more on summer essentials? Spend more time enjoying summer. Add summer to cart. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. wins a Little Caesars Arena 90-78. to 78. Uh, And Rod, you you called this one. They Oakland fought hard, and they fought hard all the way up until the end. Michigan State just never quite able to just deliver that knockout blow, uh, but the closest they ever got was about seven uh, in the second half. Um, they let them crawl back to within one uh, several times in the first half. Um what what's your overall take on this? I really like this watching this game. I like the broadcast. Um, uh, you know, it you just don't you, you see too many of those like hometown broadcasts anymore. <laughs> well, yeah, the, apparently, apparently the guy who does play by play is employed by Oakland. Um, I you know if if you have those of our listeners who have ESPN Plus probably know this that unless a game is being broadcast by Fox or the big 10 network, it's probably on ESPN plus. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, literally any game that's being played in division one. And so a lot of these broadcasts are like this one. I, I can't say I'm with you on that. <laughs> I thought it was incredibly frustrating to watch. I don't care about the commentary. It is what it is, but, um, but the camera work, my God, awful just awful it was like one of those uh big 10 plus exhibition games yeah the camera work was lacking yeah it was just terrible it was just terrible very frustrating to watch and and the game itself it's funny i feel really good about a lot of stuff but it was still an irritating game to watch for me for two reasons one I thought, um, and, and I kind of knew this was going to be the case coming in, Oakland's style this year just kind of turns it into a ragged game. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Michigan State executed really well. We'll get into that. But it just, in segments, it just didn't feel like it had the flow you want. I thought the whistles were highly questionable. <laughs> and again, not a big, not, but, you know, Oakland had – what was it? 23 free throw attempts to Michigan state's eight. Are you kidding me? Really? Yeah. I don't a think lot, lot of are... bad, a lot of bad, bad, bad calls. And that's a, that's a veteran solid officiating crew. I don't know what the hell they thought they were watching, but there were a, a number of bad calls and they missed some stuff the other way too. The play that Campy got teed up on Gabe was in the cylinder on yeah. that. Oh, yeah, no yeah. question. You know, so it's not like it was just, I'm not saying, oh, Michigan State got screwed. I do think Michigan State got the short end of the stick uh, in, in terms of the fact that this Oakland played because they play that scrambling style and and they kind of are aggressive offensively too. They play with physicality. You can't tell me Michigan State was a vastly more physical team to the tune of 23 to 8. 
mm-hmm. at the line, but that's that's the way it was. So I didn't like that. That made it irritating to watch. And then, you know, we talked about it in the pregame. This is not a good Oakland shooting team from deep. It's just not. And they hit shots they had no business hitting. I mean, that's just <laughs> how it is. They banking, they banked a three in. The Moore kid, who was a good player, and, and maybe to be fair to him, you know, 22% from three, which is what he was coming into this game, was almost certainly a bad streak that he's had to start this season. But, you know, he's hitting he's hitting shots that are not good shots. Mm. They're, they're pull-up, contested threes from 25 feet. That, that, those are not good shots. And they hit enough of those that I was irritated watching it. So a lot of good things, which we'll talk about. But a game I'm glad is over because I, I found myself irritated through a lot of it. <laughs> yeah, especially towards the end when it was just like rampant pressure. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's any game. This was pretty much the full 40. Mm-hmm. I was irritated. Um, well, I guess with this one, you could start with, uh, well, I mean, I think the what stood out to me, Tyson Walker, 10 points, 10 assists, only one turnover. Again, and three steals in this one. Great point I, guard gonna, out, of the, out of the point guards in total, really. Throw Hogart in there, too. That's what I was yeah. going to say. Hogart scores seven points, three for six on the floor, one for one from three. Uh, seven assists, one turnover in his own right. So that's combined. 17 assists, two turnovers from your point guards against the team that, as we talked about, and I saw Greg Campy's postgame, he talked about it. They're a big part of their thing is turning people over. Mm-hmm. And you can see why. It's just that morphing zone. And they, although they're a small team in terms of height and interior size, they are long on the perimeter. And you could, I could definitely see how they could turn people over. But um, Michigan State did a great job handling it. And mm. give credit to both of those guys. I thought they were outstanding. Yeah. Um, you know, Tyson didn't score in the first half and he had he had some trouble finishing twos again in this one, which was a problem for him earlier in the year. But uh he came out the second half and scored ten points in the half, was great running the show the whole way. Defensively, even though Moore had, you know, a, a solid game certainly, he was fifty percent from the floor overall. He had 11 assists, but he also had five turnovers. Mm-hmm. And Tyson, I think, was responsible for some of those. As you said, he had three steals. So I thought Tyson was once again, and and once again, really good. But I think what we, what we saw in this game in stretches is that, to my eyes, he is understanding his teammates more and more mm-hmm. as we're going. It wasn't just that he racked up the assists. It was how he got them. There, you know, it was a cross-court pass early in the game to Max Christie for a three. That was really just a function of guys understanding each other. Mm. You know, it was that it was that intuitive. And there were other examples of that in this game too. I think he's really starting to find himself. And uh, and you know, he did end up fouling out. If anybody had a question, I know the broadcast wasn't very good on you know, details, but, um, that's why he wasn't out there during the last minute and change. He fouled out. Uh, but other than that, boy, a great game. And, and Hogard, again, if that's your backup point guard, 
I will take that any day of the week. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think, you know, if Michigan State was relying on A.J. to be the guy, I'd have big questions. But as a guy who's going to play maybe 15 minutes or so for you, something like that, I think he's he's done it long enough now this season that I think we have a good idea of what A.J. Hogarth is. Mm-hmm. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to force things that aren't there occasionally. But he's also going to get you buckets at times when you need something. You know, when yeah. the shot clock's running down, he can just go manufacture something at the rim. He's proving to be better and better with his playmaking and his judgment. He's still not the same guy in the half court that Walker is, but he's getting better there and he's been good all year long in transition. So yeah, very, I think I agree with you. That's where this conversation starts mm-hmm. is play at the point guard. And both guys had really good nights. Uh, and then Bingham, 26 minutes, 17 points, 12 rebounds, eight for 10 from the floor, four blocks, a steal, one turnover and just yeah. lobbed them to death. All yeah, game. you know, I, I Oakland is a small team. They have trouble defending at the rim. You saw why. You saw how that works. I thought Michigan State's execution against the zone all night was outstanding, and a big part of that was what you just kind of mentioned. It was those diagonal passes to the weak side at the rim. Mm-hmm. A lot of dunks. A lot of dunks in this one. And Marky was a big part of that. But, you know... I. I'm not going to penalize Marcus Bingham for being the biggest guy on the floor. <laughs> you know, the fact, the fact of the matter is you look at it you say, okay, this is a game Marky should get off a little bit. And he did. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, the blocks, he set a tone early. I think that was important. Um, you mentioned all the dunks, um, 12 rebounds again, consistently doing the job on the glass. I, I just, I really, really like what we're seeing out of Marcus Bingham. And, uh, and again, as I said with, with uh, Hogard, we're deep enough into the season now. I think we got a pretty good idea of who Marcus Bingham is. Mm-hmm. Now, is he Kofi Coburn? Is he EJ Liddell? No. He's a different kind of player, but um, <laughs> I'm not quite ready to go full bore with this. But I'll throw this out to you and see how you feel about it. But the longer this goes on, and you mentioned maybe the most important number tonight, 26. Yeah. That was the minutes. That's really encouraging because I think in Big Ten play, they're going to want it. You know, if they could squeeze, you know, 26 instead of 22 out of him, mm-hmm. an extra four minutes may, be, may well be the difference. You know, I think it's that important. So that's a really good sign. But but what I was going to say, and I want your reaction to it, is think back two seasons ago. Big Ten, once again that year, absolutely loaded with high-caliber big men. You had a freshman Coburn at Illinois. You had Luca Garza starting to explode as a junior. That's when he became a big-time guy instead of just a good player. Mm-hmm. Um you had the kid Oturu at Minnesota who was having a great year. It was uh, just same thing spent the last couple of years. You go up and down the league. Uh, Wesson at Ohio State. You know, yeah. you go up and down the league, and there were great big men. But for my money, oh, Stick Smith at Maryland. Yeah. But for my money, the best big man in the Big Ten that year, when you took into account everything, was Xavier Tillman. Mm-hmm. 
Xavier Tillman didn't put up the scoring numbers most of those guys did, but he was still an effective scorer. He was a very good rebounder, but his defense was so far beyond what anybody else did in terms of his play-to-play impact that I think it made him the most impactful big man in the league. Um, I don't think everybody shared that opinion in terms of the national perspective, but I think it's because they don't understand things well enough. Mm. (laughs) No no offense. Um, Most of those people focus more on on scoring numbers and rebounding numbers, and they don't write. They don't understand it. I'm not ready to say that Marcus Bingham will be exactly that this year, but what I do think is that he's not going to put up the scoring average and probably won't quite have the rebounding numbers that that a few of these other guys are going to have. Coburn is probably in a league of his own. The Dickinson kid at Michigan is struggling a little bit, but he'll probably have good numbers when it's all said and done. Um, You know, Liddell obviously is having a great year. You know, and there are some other guys around the conference that that will fit into that that discussion as well. Uh, Trace Jackson Davis, yeah, you know, a lot of these guys. But what I am convinced of is that when you take into account the totality of what Marcus is doing, he's going to be much much closer in terms of total impact to all of those guys than a lot of people are going to realize when they just focus on scoring and rebounding numbers. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. If you look at Marcus Bingham with, with full energy, like at the very start of the game, I mean, how many games have we had where Michigan State's out to an 8-0 lead and Bingham's already yep. got two or three blocks? You're right. It's, I mean, it's something that, that goes under-discussed. People focus on the shot making, but you're absolutely right. He has been, and he was this way tonight. Yeah. He has been impactful right out of the shoot in setting a tone, typically with his, his shot blocking, his rim protection. But I maintain the shot blocking is certainly a big part of it, but it's not the whole story with Marcus. Marcus no. has become a very good total defender. Mm-hmm. He is so much improved in pick-and-roll defense. His length creates problems beyond just shot blocking. It makes it tough to complete passes Yeah, in the paint. You know? His so steal I, numbers are up. Yeah, I just I th- and that was something that Tillman always excelled at too, but I, I just think that Michigan State, you know, at the start of the year, it was a legitimate question, and we spent a lot of time talking about it. Once again, you go up and down the conference, and it seems like most teams have a legitimately good to great big man, and in in some instances, really really big. Mm-hmm. Um, and the question, legitimate question, was. How is Michigan State going to be able to match up with some of these teams in the paint? Well, we have our answer now. You know, I, I think it's it's done. I mean, he's done enough this year. There's no reason to expect that he's going to regress. Mm-mm. You know, he, I'm not saying he's going to be going for 17, 12, and 4 every night, but you get my point. Yeah. He's going to do what he's done all year. He's going to be good. In all phases of the game, he's going to be good. And, and so I think... You know, we know going into when, when you're going into a game against Illinois, you're going into a game against Michigan or, or even Purdue with both of their guys. We know now Marcus Bingham is going to have a chance every night, a legitimate chance to play the, the opposing five, no matter what guy we're talking about, to a standstill or maybe even outplay him sometimes. Yeah. And that's something I didn't, I, we didn't know in October. 
We hoped, but we didn't know. We know it now. Yeah, that's the I think the biggest surprise of the entire team is 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 Bingham's defensive presence. Well, I, I agree. I, I don't I don't think that you're going to see a big guy come in and just dominate the paint this year. I, I just don't right see it happening. I, I'm not. You know what it is. I may, maybe maybe I'll, I'll ex, extrapolate from from what you say because I, I think I know what you mean, and I would agree if I'm right. I think we knew when Marcus is on the floor and has a full tank of gas, he could block shots. We knew that because mm. he's done it before. But but two things have changed. One, he's just a much better total defender. Yeah. His pick and roll defense is night and day from where he was, even at the start of last season. He was starting to get it toward the end, but he's gone up a level or two from there. But the, the bigger thing, I think, is that he's now proven – you know, 26 minutes, mm-hmm. you get 26 minutes out of him. That's huge. And we had no way of knowing that that was going to be the case. And, and if he's able to do that and be effective in all those minutes, that's a big deal because now his defense is impacting that much of the game, like 60% of the game, you know, yeah. and, and Michigan state can get by with that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, if you look at Marble, he only got 10 minutes in this game, four points. Um, but he's doing, he he's, he's kind of, his time is sort of where it should be. I think, I mean, he's in there, he gets oh, a I few agree. buckets, uh, you know, maybe a, a mismatch on somebody down low, down in the post. And if you can get away with that, that's perfect. Yep. Uh, you know, obviously fouls come into play with this stuff, but ideally you want Julius playing against an opponent's backup. Yeah. And most nights he's going to be at least able to play that guy to a standstill. And there are going to be plenty where I think he's going to have an advantage. I think he's far from the worst backup five, mm-hmm. you know, that the exception would be Purdue where they're rolling out a high quality big man, all 40 minutes. That's, you know, that's tough, but uh, yeah, he's doing his job. You know, he's not anywhere close to the defensive presence or the rebounder that Marcus is, but I think he's been better this year. And as you said, he can go get your, you know, tonight he got a couple buckets in the paint. That's, we know he can do that against anybody, really. Mm -hmm. Julius Marble can go get you a post bucket. Uh, I I do think it was interesting that uh, Mahdi played a little bit in the first half, and that's still something that, that would be the wild card mm-hmm. if you're looking at something on the interior at the five. Because Mati Sissoko, you saw him block that three-point shot. Where, <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's that's what length will give you, right? <laughs> um, if Mati can just get up another gear in terms of consistency, then you're talking something because then you have an option to at least keep the defense – somewhere closer, at least the rim deep rim protection defense mm-hmm. somewhere closer to where, where Marcus has it. The problem with Mati is he's so shot block happy that he takes himself out of place. If yeah. he could stop doing that, stay a little more solid and just let his length work for him the way Marcus does. And it's a maturation thing. Marcus used to make those mistakes when he was younger, mm. you know, but if he can, if they can accelerate that a little bit, then you've got another card to play besides Marvel. On a given night, if, if Marcus is in foul trouble and, 
you know, you feel like you need a little more on the defensive end against one of these other big men in the league. Well, you do have the Sissoko card that you can play. Mm. So that's something to watch. But for now, I, I really like, I like the way the minutes were allocated tonight for sure. Yeah. Uh, and then the wings um, had a really just solid, consistent night. Max Christie, a little bit of a breakout from three, four for six. Uh, he yep. winds up with 17 points, four rebounds and assist. A block. Uh, good game uh, from him. Maybe his best game. He was really good against Butler, but I I, I yeah. liked this game and, and it apparently, as I said, he's been practicing really well over this this uh, break. And if that's the case, it certainly showed up and translated under the lights tonight. Um, I thought he was really good. Yeah, and and that's that is hugely encouraging to see. Because if you've got Max Christie playing at this level, well, as we've talked about, that's one of the ways that for as good as Michigan State's been so far, it could get better still if mm-hmm. Max Christie elevates his game offensively. And I think you know this was an encouraging step in that direction. He needs to sustain it, obviously. But, yeah, great, great night for him. And, you know, the, the one thing you got to say about him, even through this shooting slump, he never looks rattled to me. He never looks like no. he lacks confidence. And that's the biggest thing, you know, where you contrast it with Joey Hauser, where his struggles at times, you've been able to see it in his face. You've been able to see yeah. it in his body language on the floor. You know, he's looked like a guy who isn't confident in himself. Max Christie's never looked that way. Mm-hmm. And that's half the battle. And whether he's doing well or doing poorly, he's just right. got that – Calm demeanor. That's what I mean. Yeah. That's what I mean. If he if he's going one for five from three, uh, you don't necessarily know it. One, his defense doesn't suffer. And yeah. two, the next open shot he gets, he's still going to take. Mm-hmm. He doesn't turn down. And, and not that he forces things, but he doesn't turn down. Not at any point this year have I felt like, as, a, as say, we have at times with Joey or with Tyson Walker, we're like, God, they had shot opportunities they didn't take. Max Christie has not had that problem. Yeah. And that's what you want. You can live with the rough results at times because you, you figure the odds are really, really strong that's going to turn around. But if he's, if he's being hesitant and he's showing a lack of confidence, then you start getting back to you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, right? Mm-hmm. He doesn't have that problem, it seems. So that's good. And he's got, he only had one personal foul in this game, which is he's able to play these almost every game, 31, 30 to 34 minutes um, and fairly good defense without ever running into foul trouble. Absolutely. Well, that's been quietly something. And tonight was an exception. Again, I go back to what I thought was a fairly poorly officiated game. Um, But for the most part, Michigan state, this year, one big thing that maybe we haven't even emphasized enough is they have been defending people without fouling mm-hmm. by Michigan State standards for sure. You know, this has been even Michigan State's great defensive teams have typically fouled people more than the average college basketball team does because they play physically and, you know, they take chances on, on that stuff and sometimes you get called. This team has done a remarkable job in that area. Yeah. Again, tonight, not a great example of it, but for the most part this year, that's how they've played. And Max is certainly part of that. 
Uh, Gabe, 14 points, four rebounds, three assists, um, two for nine from three, but he also had a block, one turnover. Yeah, you know, wasn't wasn't dialed in from three, and and for the most part, I love Gabe Brown's shot selection because for the most part, if Gabe Brown's open, he should be putting it up. Yeah. You know, that's how I feel about it. But I will say with him and with Joey, those were the two guys that I felt not a lot, but a couple of times they took open. And this is the weird thing about playing against the zone. You can have an open shot that's still not a good shot. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason for that is it's just not coming in rhythm. And, and Gabe, I thought, a couple of his tonight, and Joey had at least one as well, where it just felt, yeah, they were open, but it wasn't in rhythm. It wasn't off that kind of hot potato ball movement when they're really clicking. And, you know, those are the threes you want to take. The ones where it's off, you know, one or two passes in the half court, yeah, you're open, but it's not at all. It does, it, you can feel it. You can physically feel it when you're watching it. Mm-hmm. And, and I thought that was, you know, one of the rare times this year where I felt that way about Gabe. It just wasn't falling for him the way it normally does. But, but look, you know, as you said, you look at the contributions, 14 points. He had a couple offensive rebounds, three assists, one block, only one turnover. Uh, it's, it's something I've said a couple of other times this year. In the past, you know, Gabe Brown, when we'd say, yeah, he just didn't have a great game, didn't do a lot. You'd look up, it'd be zero points, one rebound, and a turnover. Yeah. This year, it's like, oh, he still had 10 points. He still grabbed four or five boards. You know, this was kind of that way. It was not a great game from Gabe. But then you look up, and eh, 14 points, four boards, three assists. He got a block, only one turnover. That's not bad. Mm-hmm. So you, you just you live with some shots not falling. That's okay. We know with Gabe, they're going to fall more often than not. So, yep. Uh, and Joey, 20 minutes, five points, five rebounds, four assists, um, one for three from three, a steal, two turnovers. I didn't think he was bad, you know. I mentioned he had one of those missed threes I thought was out of rhythm, um, but the other two, including the one he hit, I thought were good shots. I thought he defended pretty well. He got The one where Izzo got teed up was a joke of a call. He beat Beat Kane to the spot easily, and Kane led with his forearm. Absolutely was an offensive foul right in front of the official. I don't know what he thought he saw. Um, I thought Joey, that was an example of Joey doing what he's supposed to do. Uh-huh. He moved feet, used the baseline intelligently to kind of guide him and cut him off and should have been rewarded with a call. But I, I thought overall Joey was fine. You know, nothing spectacular, but he was good. Yep. You know, this, that's, again, another example of a Joey Hauser who's doing more positive things than negative, and, and that's right now, that's what you want. Yep. Uh, and then Malik Hall, 17 minutes, 13 points, two rebounds and assist, uh, six for seven from the floor. Um, and he took that hard shot to the top of the eye that busted him open. Um, yeah. Up until that point, he'd really, really been – putting a beating on him inside. Yeah, I think that kind of t- – he. I think he only took one shot in the second half, and he hit it. It was a mid-lane jumper against the zone, but um, it definitely slowed him down. He was not 
quite as impactful as he had been in the first half. First half, he was great. Yeah. I mean, he just did it. You know, in the middle of that zone, we've talked about it, and we talked about it coming into this game, and I think it was true. Um, he is just perfectly built for that role, the way he's playing, because he's a true triple threat, and and he's calm. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel relaxed when Malik Hall is on the floor and has the ball in his hands. I think he's the vast, vast majority of the time he's going to make good decisions. And and this was just a yeah, it was another really, really nice effort from him. Um, you have to be very, very happy if you're Tom Nizzo with the play of your two foremen. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jaden Akins gets 16 minutes, uh, hit the one three, two rebounds, two assists, um, a steal, two turnovers though. Yeah, not a not a great game for Jaden, but even having said that, he still had that one defensive play where he came out of nowhere. Man, he is fast. Yeah, he is. He the combination of speed and jumping ability. I, I talked about it when he was a recruit. If you talk about him as a point guard, which he really isn't right now for Michigan State, mm-hmm. but if you talk about him in that context, he's unlike anybody Izzo's had. In that way, the, the closest I could think of is a pre-rollover accident between Cleves when he was in high school. Cleves was never that way in college because he, he lost a gear with his athleticism. Uh, but Jade Makins is that he's you see why I was comparing him when he was a recruit to some of the guys that Kentucky's had mm. in the Calipari era. He's that kind of athlete, right? Yeah. Um, not his best night. I thought that in the second half. He kind of got flustered a little bit. Izzo was kind of yanking him in and out because of it. But even on a night where he's not at his best, you know, he's still making plays like the one we just talked about. Yeah, and, and flying in with rebounds. Yeah. yeah, and he hit that three. You know, he quickly, I think it was next possession, missed a, missed a three right after it, which was not a great shot. But, um, you know, overall, yeah, the future is extremely bright for that kid. There's no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing you talked about hope, hoping to see a little bit more of Pierre Brooks, only only gets two minutes in this, not much of an interview. Yeah, he was in there. I, I, I feel badly, and I, I, I wish, you know, look, Tom Izzo knows more than any of us ten times over, but I, I would have liked to have seen Pierre maybe get a turn in the first half because I think where they put him in, it was a lose-lose. You know, he got in there with that combination where I think Izzo maybe just decided to see, okay, let me see what these guys have when they're being pressured. But he had Aikens, Brooks, and Sissoko all out there together. Mm-hmm. I think with some combination of Walker, Hogard, and Christie, I can't remember which two of those three guys were out there, but it was not a good combination. And it quickly got, when Oakland cut it to eight, those guys all left the floor. Um, so a little disappointed for Pierre because I, I do think this is important, but um, we'll see against High Point if if his minutes increase. And then as we get back into Big Ten play, you know, it, it wasn't necessarily something that I think we were going to we we're going to know the final story based on this game, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but, yeah, that certainly no signs that anything's radically changed. Yep. Uh, so the five keys rod zone execution. I'd have to say a big check on that. I mean, they For got sure. he Malik Hall got a bunch of work done inside. They got the lob action working. Christie kind of torched them from three. 
Yeah. They handled uh, it. They looked like they knew exactly what to do. So, assists on just about 76% of their made baskets. And against the zone, that's probably going to be your telling number, right? Mm -hmm. 28 assists on 37 made baskets. 28 assists versus just 10 turnovers. Um, So, almost a 3-to-1 ratio. And again, Oakland, heavy turnover generating team. That's good stuff. More than that, though, I think it was just the quality of shots that Michigan State had. It was a really nice job moving the ball in and out to get open look threes. And, you know, I didn't think Michigan State struggled with threes in the first half. They were only four for 14. They were seven for 14, I guess, in the second half because they ended up 11 for 28 on the game, 39.3%. So even on a night where I don't know how it felt to you, to me, it felt like they weren't quite dialed in yeah from three they still raised their, their team's three point percentage a little bit yeah so and, and oakland by the way for what it's worth had been holding teams i think to 27 percent from three yeah. yeah on the year so you gotta like that and then the other part of it was i thought michigan state did a really really good job both of the point guards did a really good job in terms of vision and in terms of dribble penetration, getting into gaps and creating a lot of those weak side angles, those diagonal passes at the rim where Michigan state was getting a lot of dunks and some layups. Mm-hmm. Um, so very happy with that overall. Yeah. I, I just don't think, and I don't know how much we're going to see in the big 10 there, you know, not a lot of teams in the big 10 are, are super zone heavy like this. You know, you got you got some teams in Iowa, people like that that might bust it out for some for a few possessions, but um, if I were coaching against this Michigan State team, I'd scrap that shit fast. <laughs> yeah. not, this is not a team to zone against. It just isn't. Mm-hmm. Not with these point guards now starting to play the way they are and not with this team shooting the way it is. I think it's death mm. if you're going to try to zone this team. Uh, the second key was turnovers, uh, 10-10. Yeah. But, you know, Oakland's probably pretty happy with that as well because they've had their own problems. But from a Michigan State perspective, you know, the difference is Michigan State isn't a team that's going to go out and pressure you anyway. Mm-hmm. So you have a chance to kind of hold your mistakes down if if your problem has been dealing with other teams pressuring you which may or may not be Oakland's issue. I don't see enough of them to know. Uh, But from the MSU perspective, it's a big number because Oakland has gone out and turned people over. It's been a huge part of their defensive success. Yeah. And, and 10 turnovers in a fast paced, high possession game. That, that is fantastic. Yeah. That was like the one thing Greg Campy said. Yep. I can't believe they only turned it over 10 times. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a huge part of their game plan, right? They, mm-hmm. If they're not going to turn you over, then you start seeing some of the problems. Yeah. You start seeing you know, all that activity that you can get on the weak side at the rim, you know, just with diagonal passing. And that's, that's typical against most zones. They're not, there's nothing unique about it. Usually zones are going to be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can survive it, you know, um, getting open looks from three. Apparently, people have not been hitting them, but Michigan State's a different animal. Um, 
So it was that's how Michigan State goes in and scores 90 points against a team that's really been holding people other than Alabama. They've been holding everybody. You look at these these games against high majors or or mid major pluses that they've played. You know when they lost to West Virginia, I think West Virginia got sixty. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they beat Oklahoma State, that game was played in the fifties. You know, so this that's what happens though if they're not able to generate those mistakes. Um, they then become much more vulnerable than their season statistics would lead you to believe they are. Yeah, that one of the comments I think that makes Greg Campy such a great coach is he talked about their Michigan State's field goal attempts, and and if I think if you're playing Michigan State, that's the one thing you got to emphasize is they just cannot get that many field goal attempts. Sixty-seven in this one. I remember well, the Virginia Tech coach after they had won that game talked a lot about that. Right attempts, and it's and it's. It's. I would. I would also. You know, the, the one thing Michigan State didn't get tonight. Of course, they didn't get the free throw attempts to go with that. That's part of the reason why it was elevated. They they weren't getting fouled enough. Yeah. Um, but it's a point well taken because what it really gets at are two things, right? It gets at turnovers that they're minimizing turnovers, and it also gets at second chances, which they also got a lot of tonight. Mm-hmm. You know. If you're getting two or three shots at the rim per possession, that's going to quickly add up to a lot of field goal attempts. Yeah. And and it, and it's something we always talk about. Generally speaking, Michigan State's going to shoot the ball better than you do mm-hmm. because they're going to be a good shooting team, and defensively, they're going to limit you. You're not going to shoot as well as you normally do against a Michigan State defense. And I don't know that that was true tonight because Oakland's been a bad shooting team this year, but... The numbers are not horrible. Oakland shot 44% overall, 37% from three. They're not great, but they're, they're not disastrous. Meanwhile, MSU, 67 attempts from the floor, 37 made field goals. That's 55%, 39.3% from three, 11 for 28. Mm-hmm. That's tough to beat. Yeah. Uh, and that brings us to the third point, offensive rebounding. Uh, Michigan State, 16 on 30 missed field goals. That's, so 53, that is 52. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a plus 50% offensive rebounding rate. That is almost an impossible number to overcome. Look in, in many ways, it is remarkable that Oakland was within 12. Yeah, it really is because, and that's what I mean about it being frustrating to watch when I, at the outset when I was talking about that because Michigan State did all of these things. They limited the turnovers. They killed them on the offensive glass. They shot the ball very, very well. They did all of these things, and yet Oakland was able to hang around because they hit a lot of clown shots. Mm-hmm. You know, And sometimes that's the way it goes, but that, that was what was frustrating about it to me is because Michigan State actually played a game in totality, and offensive rebounds were part of it, that I felt like their level of play merited more like a 20, 25 point win rather than 12. Yeah. And it just didn't go that way because Oakland hit a lot of shots. Hats off, but play this game again tomorrow. I think it's closer to a 20, 25 point margin. Mm. 
Uh, and then pace. Slowed down you in the second be, half, but yeah, but you, you still, I, I thought that I thought that MSU once again did what they need to do to try to push tempo. Um, I don't think they wore Oakland down per se, um, but it was still to MSU's advantage. They got a lot mm-hmm. done in transition. Yeah, the point guards, especially uh, in the second half, seemed like they they would get down to the floor and get set just a little bit, but then when they the point guard would just kind of blow by him, <laughs> you know, like right when they're felt yep. like felt like they had gotten back and contained it, and then it was just like and, right and you know, I think that had something to do with limiting Michigan State's turnovers as well, you know. Um, mm-hmm. If you're not having to go against that that set zone defense, you're better off. You know, you're probably going to get a better look. And and I thought Michigan State, even when they got, even when they they didn't get a quick shot up, I thought it was impressive that, you know, when you're playing a zone, oftentimes because of the patience it requires you to to show, to execute, to get a good shot you find yourself using up more of the shot clock, right? Mm -hmm. That didn't happen very much. Michigan State was pretty normal in terms of how quickly they were getting shot opportunities. And and that was important. I think that definitely played into the limiting of the mistakes. Mm. Uh, And then emotion. You were spot on. They seemed like they were were fighting hard, the Grizzlies were. I mean. Well, okay, let's, let's look at the guys from Michigan. So Kane, who's having a great year, pretty much on pace. He came in averaging 21 a night. He got 20. Only at six boards, he's been averaging double digits, so they limited him there. But, you know, Kane had a nice game. Parrish played out of his mind. Both Parrish and Townsend, who are the other two Michigan kids in the starting lineup, Parrish had 19. He's five for eight overall, two for four from three, and he's been shooting miserably. Seven for nine at the line. Townsend, six for 13 from the floor, two for five from three, and he had 14 points. And Parrish also had eight rebounds. Mm-hmm. So the, the other Michigan kid, Lampman, didn't do anything. He was 0 for 3, 0 for 2 from 3, didn't score. Uh, but the three Michigan kids in the starting lineup, the, the best That's... of them played pretty much a normalish game, and the other two played way above their heads. So based on but I, I like those guys, and I talked about it in the preview. I think both mm. Paris and Townsend are going to be good players, and you could see why. But just based on what they've done so far this season, this was a better performance than you would have had reason to expect they'd give. Um, but I thought Michigan State, you know, Michigan State got out fast. Uh-huh. In this one, and I think that's important in these games. You know, Oakland believes they're a good team, and I think for their level they are. And they have enough confidence that they weren't just going to get crushed. But I think there's a difference between that and letting them just have, you know, big, big time belief, which snowballs that they can win this game uh-huh. if you let them get established early. And Michigan State really didn't do that. And, and I thought that Michigan State, you know, met that you talk about how hard they played and they did. But I thought Michigan State competed, too. Yeah. And that's what you have to do. You got to match it, and I thought for the most part they did. Yeah, the man Townsend, Parrish, Kane, Moore all played forty minutes. 
Yeah. <laughs> Never Crazy. came off the floor. Yeah, and you know, and it was a fast game. And and look, I got to give them credit. Those guys didn't wilt. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do think an important component of that, though, because we've been we've been talking about that a lot so far at these Ironman teams that we've been seeing. And, you know, Minnesota was an example where we thought, well, maybe they'll fade over the last 10 minutes. And they really did, mm-hmm. despite playing those guys all those minutes. Um, Toledo, it, that didn't happen. Tonight didn't really happen. But the problem for those teams is not on an individual game in December. Yeah. It's going to be how much in your tank do you have in late February? Yep. When you get right? a dinged That's, up ankle and a bruised knee and, and everything just else. The, and the accumulation of playing all those minutes, it does have an impact. And that's, you know, Michigan State, we can feel pretty comfortable that they're going to be operating with a fairly full tank of gas come February because they really are playing a lot of people a lot of minutes. They're using their bench effectively, and nobody should have an excuse, at least based just on that, of not having enough when it's money time. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think for a team like Minnesota, for example, that surprised a lot of people, and they've been really good so far. You know, they played competitively against Michigan State. They beat Michigan. Uh, they've only the only loss they've got is to Michigan State thus far. Uh, but for as effective as they've been so far, I wonder what they're going to be like come February. I wonder that about Greg Campy's team too. And, you know, it might not be a bad idea if he can find a way to extend that bench by a guy or two, just to make sure he's got his team has enough left because believe me, playing four of your starters, 40 minutes, that, that's, you're going to have some problems come February and March. Mm-hmm. I, I bet on it, but for tonight, not a problem. And more was just look, give more his due. I mean, he'd been struggling mightily as a shooter, and, and he's better than he had shot this season. I give him that, but I was I was frustrated seeing him hit those shots because he just hasn't been hitting them all year, and of course, tonight he does, but 7 for 14 overall, 3 for 7 from 3, and then 8 of 9 at the line. He shot a ton of free throws. Mm-hmm. He and Parrish each 9 attempts at the line. Um, and then, as you said, he had 11 assists and 6 boards. But the one problem for Moore is he had half their turnovers. He had five. And so that's maybe that's an important difference in this game. Their guy plays 40 minutes, has 11 assists, but five turnovers. Michigan State's two guys, basically, I know they played a little bit together at the end, but basically split the 40 minutes, 17 assists, two turnovers. And a combined 17 points. Not quite as many as Moore had, but close enough. That's a difference. Mm. Okay. Well, um, Rod, interesting fact about this one, Rod. Uh, attendance 16,800. Um, the Pistons have been averaging around thirteen or 14,000. Yeah, well, it's, not, it's <laughs> yeah. not surprising. And I'm not sure if, that's what, if that says a lot about Michigan State or, or, or a little about it's the Pistons. Bo- it's both. <laughs> it's both. You know, uh, Pistons have been struggling this year, obviously, and I think attendance has taken a hit. I think the interesting, the interesting thing to me, and I saw uh, Brendan Quinn, the athletic basketball writer, make mention of this. We're in this environment right now where – you've got a lot of games being canceled again because you're having positive tests, Mm -hmm. sub teams. And, and, and by the way, I, 
I know, you know, fundamentally, uh, my, my prediction on this is worth the same as anybody else's, which is zero. But I have a feeling that we're going in the new year to see some changes in terms of how this is handled. If those of you have been paying attention may know now that the NFL has decided to abandon um, its testing policy where they test people who are not showing symptoms, you know, regardless. Mm-hmm. It's just going to be symptom only testing. And I suspect you are going to see colleges. It'll be a little tougher because the argument will be you're, you're dealing with young adults, not fully formed adults, but yeah. I, I still think we're going to see some changes come uh, because it's tough dealing in this environment, right? Mm. Uh, as we've been seeing over the last several days, but I, I do think it's interesting. So you have this environment where either a game is canceled or you've got close to a full house. And as uh, Quinn mentioned, very, very, very little mask wearing going on. You could see that on camera. Yeah. There weren't many people wearing masks. So, you know, is that really where we're at? That it's, it's full house, <laughs> you know, 2019 rules or games canceled because we got a couple guys who are asymptomatically positive. Um, that, that's not sustainable. And I, I suspect that we are going to see changes coming down the pike fairly soon. I think, I think that for a lot of reasons, mm-hmm. doesn't I, I'm not going to get into the details of why, but I, I do think we're going to see a change in that respect. The NBA came out today and said they don't see any reason to put their season on pause. And they've been, they've had a ton of guys dinged again. A lot, the vast, vast majority, asymptomatic positives. Hmm. So I think we're going to start seeing these changes coming down the pike fairly soon. But it was interesting that, you know, you have this situation where Michigan's game uh, was canceled today, not because of problems they had. It was their opponent, Indiana, Purdue, Fort Wayne, I believe, um, had some a couple positives in their uh, program and they had to cancel the game. And then Michigan State and Oakland play in front of a full house where it looks like 2019. Yeah, yeah. There's a weird, yeah, that, that's got to be resolved. And I'm not arguing, by the way, for everything to go, you know, let's get the crowds out of there. I'm not getting at that at all. I'm mm. just saying that there are some blatant inconsistencies on display that uh, probably it's coming to the time where that needs to get resolved. Uh, yeah, I don't like seeing forfeits. Uh, I mean, no, it, it, and that's it, another problem. That's another problem that I. But the pro, but the the issue is at the moment, I don't see how you backtrack on it once you've started it for this year. Yeah, I don't see how you can do it. You, you're what you're speaking of. Just in case listeners aren't aware, conference games. I think pretty much every conference has made the decision that if there is a cancellation of a game due to positives in a program that program forfeits the game. Yeah. Now we haven't had that happen to the big 10 yet, but we kind of got lucky that the big 10, you know, the Jim Delaney Memorial week of games ended right before Omicron really started to make its impact felt, which I think everybody's pretty convinced is a large part of what's happened over the last several days. Mm. Um, But you are seeing forfeits happen in other leagues. And the Big Ten's like everybody else. Theoretically, that's now what I what I'm not clear on. I haven't looked at the rules 
What happens if both programs have positives? Yeah. Is it like last year where it's just, okay, we're not able to reschedule it and it's just no game? Uh, Yeah. I think the idea was, my, my guess is they were, there were two things at work. One, they didn't want to repeat the chaos of, of um, having rescheduled games on short notice when you had people with holding tickets. Mm-hmm. It was one thing when it wasn't being played in front of anybody. It didn't affect anything that way, but I suspect that was part of it. And then the other thing I would guess was in play is that they wanted to apply some pressure to the programs to say, take care of your business, keep your guys you know, get them vaccinated, you know, make sure the behavior isn't risky, you know, all of that, that it was a subtle kind of pressure. But the problem with that is now we're in an environment where very clearly you can have done all the quote unquote right things as of the start of this season and still get dinged. Yeah. So how do you punish people like this? I I do. I I mean, I I wasn't exactly happy about the situation with Michigan last year. Um, Yeah. So, but at the same time, I don't want forfeiting, but like, Hey, if you got, if you got four guys out, you know, maybe all right, roll out Davis Smith, you know? Uh, Well, and that's, you had those players on the, on the team for a reason, you know, I mean, this is where it, it's going to get difficult because I actually think that medically there is an argument for doing that. That if you've got, as you say, if you've got a couple guys that are out because they've tested positive, but nine guys can play, nine mm-hmm. guys aren't positive, we, we've got to change and this is societally the case. I think it's a new ball game now. Yeah. And I think the quarantining rules, I mean, I'm, I'm not popping off that. I'm, no, I'm not a doctor, but I happen to know some. Mm. I know I, I'm related to an immunologist. I'm related to someone who's a vaccine scientist. So I like to think I'm getting maybe a little better information than the average person is fortunate enough to be able to get. Right. And that plus what I see from very prominent people um, on social media who work in these fields seems to suggest that there's a legitimate argument on a number of fronts. The amount of time that you're actually contagious, uh, the uh, impact of, um, of being vaccinated on how contagious you may be, even with this new variant, that there may be a more legitimate argument to one, having the quarantining times be shorter in duration. I've seen suggestions that the the official recommendation should no longer be 10 days. It should probably be half that if you're not symptomatic. If you are asymptomatic and five days go by from your exposure, you're probably in the clear. I've seen suggestions of that. But that the other thing, what you're getting at, is if you've got people that aren't positive, are, are we at a point that we could say, you know what, let them play and and go with who you've got? I, I think we may see pushes in that direction. It's going to be interesting to see because this is going to be a factor for sure for the next, I would assume, four to six weeks. We're going to see this. I think through January 
it's a pretty good bet based on what we're seeing around the world that that this is going to be a factor for for that long hopefully not longer but definitely that long and and how we deal with it i think probably has to evolve i i I actually think the nfl thing was it cannot be overstated how big of a shift that was yeah and i don't think it's i don't think it's even being given as much attention as it should have been because what they've said essentially is, if you're not symptomatic, we're not testing you. Mm-hmm. That the sports world has been 180 degrees removed from that. It's been everybody gets tested all the time. Now colleges, it's a little different because these guys are students, and my understanding is colleges and universities have been doing regular testing of their entire student bodies anyway. Um, so are, are we going to see, is the NFL going to be in the vanguard of leading a shift away from the way we've handled this for close to two years now, which is you kind of tested people in certain capacities, regardless of whether it's just a regular fact of life. Mm -hmm. If they're an athlete or they're a student or they're both, they're going to get tested no matter if they've got symptoms or not. And if we if we change that, I suspect we're going to be in a different environment in terms of how all this stuff functions that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of these, a lot of these that are getting picked up are asymptomatic. There's no debate about that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think the risk with um, people being double immunized and then having a booster shot at this point has got to be really low statistically well there's you know there's without getting into the weeds too much on this there's there's debate on that but my inclination my opinion which is worth nothing um my inclination is that you're you're largely correct um you know the argument has always been it's not even as much about the risk to the athletes because they're all young adults who are even if they weren't vaccinated are in a very low risk category but the danger is you're contributing to community spread, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, again, we're in maybe a different phase of this now because you're talking about a variant that is operating in such a way that it, it, it just doesn't community spread is a fact. Mm. You're gonna, you're not going, my understanding is you are not going to be able to duck and experience an engagement with the coronavirus anymore. If you thought that was on the table previously, that if you were vaccinated, you were boosted, you wore your mask everywhere, you socially distanced, and that that was going to keep you from ever getting it, I think that ship has sailed mm-hmm. because of the transmissibility, you know? And so, again, that has, to, that has to change the equation. If your reason for being so diligent with these athletes is, well, we don't want to be part of of community, a community spread process because then it could get to more vulnerable people. Okay. That made a lot of sense Yeah. in the past. Does it make as much sense in the current environment? I think there's a point for discussion, mm. you know, but anyway, this is getting out of our lanes. of expertise, <laughs> so We should probably leave it there. <laughs> All right. Well, final thoughts on the game, Rod. Uh... Like I said, uh, you know, a lot of good things. You look at what Michigan State did, and a lot of—I don't even feel like the defense 
you could say, well, they didn't. This team isn't very good offensively. They didn't defend well. I thought Michigan State defended pretty decently. I thought yeah. Oakland. It was frustrating because Oakland just hit a lot of shots that I don't think they've earned. And whatever that happens sometimes in any season, that's going to happen to you. It happened to Michigan State tonight, but uh, I'm glad they got the win. This is always a game where you know MSU is 20 and 0 now against Oakland all time. And some, you know, there've been a handful of them that have been really, really close. Uh, this one was kind of in between. It wasn't the blowout we've seen on occasion, but um, it, it also wasn't a game where I ever felt that they were legitimately threatened. Yeah. And that's a good team. I think, I think that Oakland team has every right to believe that they can be right there in the horizon. I see no reason yeah. to think otherwise. You know, Kane is legit. You look at him, you look at his body. Um, you know, he's built, he, he could, he could play in the big 10 oh, pretty yeah. clearly. Yeah. So in the horizon, he's something else. If more can be this version of himself, then they really go up a level. If Townsend and Parrish can, can contribute like that, you know, they've, they've got some pieces, man. They just, my worry is the bench is really shallow and the lack of size isn't going to be as big a deal on a night to night basis in the horizon, but they're still pretty small, even by horizon standards. So can they hold up, you know, but it's, it's a, it's a nice win for MSU. They accomplished most of what they needed to accomplish. And now we get another, you know, week off until, uh, eight days, right. Until high point. Yeah. Yeah. And we see Tubby Smith come back to the breast. <laughs> I saw that Tubby Smith, man, he's just so he keeps showing up <laughs> now. Now, uh, and that's, of course, why the game's being played, is the mm-hmm. friendship between his own Tubby yeah. Smith. They're, they're good buddies. Uh, but, you know, what's interesting about that game, and I think I might have mentioned this recently in one of our other episodes, I was I was on the radio with Jack Ebling, and uh, he mentioned that he had had a conversation with Izzo where he asked him, whose idea was it to play on a Wednesday afternoon at 3 p.m.? <laughs> The, the game gets high point just to give people fair notice. 3 p.m. on a Wednesday. That's when they're playing high point. So be ready. Now, I know a lot of people have that week off anyway between Christmas and New Year. Um, so I, I suspect that's why they thought they'd get away with it. But um, it is interesting to say the least. So that's <laughs> that's the next one. And then the non-conference is over, and we get back into it right after New Year against Northwestern, and we go from there. Yeah. Well, okay. I'll probably be watching that one on my in the Walmart parking lot on my way home from work. Okay. <laughs> All right. Until next time, the Final Four is on the schedule. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.